Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Is drag forever? You think drag is going to be forever in your life? Ever and ever and ever? Oh, in my life? Absolutely. Yeah. I think drag will be forever everywhere. So you think Ben de la Creme at 80 are going to be doing Yes, it? I want my skin falling off my bones on stage. <laughs> You're listening to Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Benda LaCreme, who is the actual, like, epitome of what I'm talking about. We all remember this iconic moment of him. Or if we don't, let me tell you, he was on RuPaul Drag Race. I swear to you, he was a favorite. He was destined to win that season. And at some point, he shocked the entire world, including RuPaul, by voting himself off the show. It was this crazy, legendary, historic moment on television. And boy, if there isn't like, what, an illustration of how you succeed through failing better than that example, I don't know one, okay? I mean, that is truly like the essence of what the show is about. 
The first time I ever saw a drag show was when I was in high school and I went to see John Epperson perform at the Red Parrot. I would say I was roughly like 15 or 16, and John was maybe 18 or 20 or something. Um, and it was before he created the character of Lipsinka. I would say he did that about 10 years later. But I went to performing arts high school and I had a million friends who were like these incredible ballerinas. And John used to play rehearsal piano for American Ballet Theater, right? And that's how I met him. In other words, he would literally go and play reductions of Swan Lake all day long in these rehearsal rooms where these, you know, ballerinas were dancing. And then he would go and do these amazing drag shows. By the way, this was before he lip-synced, right? He would just do these incredible shows where he would sing and accompany himself on the piano, all whilst wearing, you know, like amazing makeup, wigs, sort of dresses, high heels, etc. And I will go to the mat to say that before John Epperson, before Lipsinka, darling, I had not seen any of this kind of thing. You know, I'd seen a little bit of lip syncing and here and there, but he did this kind of amazing thing where he spliced together all of this hilarious kind of like, you know, breakneck speed sort of stuff that he lip synced. And it was art, darling. So John Epperson became a really big star. I mean, I remember when fashion designers like Claude Montana and Thierry Mugler would fly John Epperson to Paris to like open their fashion shows. You know, this was like in the 80s and the 90s. And it wasn't exactly through my friendship with John that I was bound to the whole subject of drag. I was really good friends with RuPaul as well and a lot of other drag queens. And they were all so incredibly talented and so fabulous and risky and edgy, you know? And since then, I've been a big fan of drag, everything to do with drag. I've seen about a million drag shows. And of course, well, darlings, I became a huge fan of RuPaul Drag Race from the first minute, right? I mean, I swear to you, I've seen every single episode. And I've met a lot of those drag queens and I know a lot of the people who judge the show, etc. It's just part of my DNA at this point. And so I was thrilled to interview my guest today. Who is Ben de la Creme? Well, Ben is an award-winning drag queen, obviously, but also a writer, a director, a producer. She's best known for her appearances, I would say, on season six of RuPaul Drag Race. But also, she was on season three of RuPaul Drag Race All-Stars. And she combines this incredible background she has in performing with visual arts and this love of spectacle and glamour and Saturday morning cartoons. Let's talk to her. Bender La Creme, is it really you? It is. Is it really Darling, you? I am so excited to talk to you. I have no idea. I'm just honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting aside, me. Darling, aside from being a huge fan of yours, I think you like puppets a lot. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Tell me about so. I think you kind of like found puppets at a young age. Is that right? I had a, a major 
uh, hard on for Jim Henson as a young person. <gasps> and uh, we share a birthday. So that was like something that as oh. a kid, you know, when you have a birthday in common with a celebrity, it's like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom was an artist who loved Jim Henson. And so I grew up watching The Muppet Show and all of that stuff. And uh, I was also a lonely queer kid in the middle of the woods in Connecticut. So, you know, at some point you start talking to yourself through your stuffed animals and that was kind of that. <laughs> okay. You were in Connecticut. You were you were born in Connecticut, right? You moved to Seattle and you began to do drag in Seattle. Is that right? Tell us a little bit about it, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, there was a step in between, which is that um, I went to school in Chicago. So I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and when I was you know, young and living in Connecticut, I knew that I was a drag queen, even though I didn't know what a drag queen was, right? Mm-hmm. I would I would literally steal makeup from the drugstore, go home, lock myself in the bathroom, put on makeup, wash it off, and leave the bathroom. Like, that's how I grew up, wow. you know? And right. uh, there were, I think, my, like, last two Halloweens of high school, I dared to go in drag. And uh, because, you know, I was already being, like, beat up and made fun of anyway, so what did I have to lose? And... So by the time I got to Chicago and went to school, I had discovered more of what drag was. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is who I am. This is the path that is out there for me. So, um, you know, when I was studying fine arts and I started really kind of trying to bring drag into the stuff I was doing, right? So mm-hmm. uh, the Art Institute has sort of like a great first year where you have to take every discipline, right? So I was doing like painting and sculpture and photography and performance art and video and um, and any in any way that I could work drag into that, I did. And um, and I, you know, I must say, I think very effectively. I, I the fine art kind of mentality and development process mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Like my brain works that way, you know. So, but. My teachers would be like, your work is great, but this thing you're trying to pull into it isn't fine art. Meanwhile, I started going out and uh, entering amateur contests in the gay clubs on the weekends. And mm-hmm. and I sort of like was immediately well-received. And I think it was, you know, I was young and pretty and had a lot of energy. Um, but... It was a lot of people sort of, you know, lip syncing to share and stuff, which is great and has a lot of value, but didn't. I was like, I want it. I don't know. I want something different. So on this one end, I was getting this great education in the arts that I loved, but it wasn't allowing drag in. On the other end, I was doing drag, but it wasn't sort of like intellectually stimulating me. And, uh, and that was a real push and pull that I didn't quite know what to do with. And actually, this pulls back a little bit to something you asked before, which is I was also like a kind of angry punk rock queen. My name at the time was Tina Angst. And I did like all Riot Girl music. And I was very, it was very much an expression of my frustration with not finding a place in this way that I just described, but also feeling really out of place with gay men. You know, at the time it was a very mask for mask, grinder, white sort of muscle community. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. any of that. And so a lot of my anger around not fitting in that way came out in my drag. Mm -hmm. And I found that the more angry I got, the more bad everything felt. And then there was this queen who still is rattling around Chicago um, named Miss Fousey, who was a little bit older than me. And she just kind of like wore like smudged on blue eyeshadow and a muumuu and like a crazy wig, right? And But she would mm-hmm. go out. All she did was she showed up to clubs 
And this, she would have little wrapped candies. And this is like before everyone was afraid of that. And she would walk around and she would give candy to everyone in the club. And she would call everyone pineapple. And she said, hello, pineapple. It's so good to see you tonight. Wow. Here, have this. She was so soft. It's sort of like the it's sort of like possum, you know, if, if you were Barry Humphreys, if you were Dame Edna, you called everyone possum. Yes. Yeah. And it was so maternal and gentle. Mm-hmm. And it was like I watched all these kind of bitchy gay men who I felt adversarial with melt and turn sweet. And I was like, oh, that's how you diffuse this. It's not the angry thing. It's right. this other thing. <gasps> wow. That's a life lesson, darling. Oh yeah. No, I'm so grateful for that. And after that, Amazing. I moved to Seattle. And mm-hmm. I and I put this new character into practice that I called Ben de la Creme. And uh, mm-hmm. Seattle was was an amazing place. I suddenly, I moved there at this amazing time in 2006 where just the cabaret scene was thriving. I got a job immediately as an MC at this cabaret in the Pike Place Market that had, but they had burlesque, they had circus arts, they had contemporary dancers, they had uh, stand-up comedians, they had everyone. And I got to learn from all of them And that's really where what I do now started to take shape. And that's what I sort of credit my, like, I use it all. I use my fine arts background, I use the angst, and I use that, you know? By the way, I'm thrilled that you didn't wear drag to this interview. I oh. love the I love your <laughs> your regular look. I love your look. You know, oh, thank like, you. very good look. You have wonderful eyebrows. Do you do that to your eyebrows, or did I, they just grow that way? Oh naturally? God, no, no. I plucked my eyebrows to high heaven when I was like in mm-hmm. junior high. I was. I'm so glad that they're not as thin as I made them then. But they just right. don't grow under here anymore. I just oh, killed I'm so all so the darling. I, my I have honestly like you can't see this, but I have like faint little eyebrows and that does not come from years of plucking that just i was ne- i was never really endowed with fantastic eyebrows i never really had great eyebrows well i'm but. grateful for the eyebrows i have in day to day life but i will tell you gluing them <laughs> down is a wrestling match all right well so now that you're not in drag i like this because you can talk about ben de la creme and by the way your pronouns are she her is that right in drag i go by she her out of okay. drag i go by he him but you can always call me she her wow. i will never be offended by it well so. me either me either honestly <laughs> and and it's funny because like my generation we were we loved being called she she was like yep. this kind of joke pronoun that we used to describe each other yeah. and then it became like serious business like do not refer to me as anything but she or I'll cut you you know yeah. Yeah. but anyway darling describe your drag describe to us exactly who Ben is even though a lot of people listening know I want to know who you think she is yeah um I mean Dela is a character that I I've been doing drag for 20 years at this point um mm-hmm. but I think I started developing her more in earnest around like 2007 when I moved to Seattle. And, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, she's really, I love the school of drag where you really develop a character who is not you, you know, there are plenty of Queens who are sort of the same person dressed or not dressed. And that's wonderful Mm -hmm. and lovely, but I, you know, sort of fell in love with folks like Varley Jean Merman and Jackie Bead. And well, Jackie's Jackie all the time, but she's more Jackie when she's in drag. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, folks who really, Charles Bush, these kind of more old school queens Mm -hmm. who really do character work and growing up on Pee Wee Herman and Elvira, these people who were like, always embodied their characters in this way Mm -hmm. where you, like, believed in this larger-than-life character. All that stuff really inspired me. So, Dela, I think of as... She's not, to me, a 
a woman. You know, I'm not like play, doing a female illusion. She's like a cartoon. She's like a puppet. You know, she's like right. she is a Muppet. She's a Hanna Barbera right. cartoon, and I <laughs> and I love that because she's larger than life and kind of more over the top, and uh, and it feels somewhat magical to me. But she's also, you know, I really have she embodies kind of like positivity and you know when i was a young drag queen i kind of fell into the i think the the bitchy kind of thing that most drag queens fall into immediately mm -hmm. yes which i'm hoping to talk about sometime during yeah. this conversation because i feel like you know that's a big part of drag and i always think that it's so fascinating on rupaul those episodes where they do the roasts yeah. you know and somehow, again, genetically is supposed to be born with this, this sense of what is vicious versus what is really funny or what is this perfect combination between vicious and funny. Yeah. And what is too vicious, right? And what's not funny. You know what I mean? So it's a really good subject to talk about. I'm not sure. Let's yeah. just go. Tell me about it. How do you justify yourself in this world of drag, which is kind of a wash with vicious comedy, you know? Because I don't find Dela to be this vicious. Yeah, you know, so, I yeah. think that uh, that sense of balance that you're talking about around vicious versus funny, I mean, that's something that, it, like, people have to work to hone over many years. And, you know, they throw these yeah. young girls into it on Drag Race, and then right. they you know, get mad at them for saying something nasty. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, come on. <laughs> come on, you're encouraging us to be nasty <laughs> exactly. and then we're nasty. Is there this kind of like disconnect or societal kind of hierarchy between people like you who are men who practice this thing in, in a dress? And you said she's not, a, at some point you just said, Ben de la Creme is not a woman. Right? Yeah. So, but you go by she, her. Is there this kind of like, because there are drag queens who are incredible and they're queer and they're transitioning and they are. Yeah. And it's all about drag, you know? Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about that because that is, to me, that's a little dangerous, you know, when I walk in a room and I, I get bombarded with all the different yeah well man of, it's a yeah. it's a it's a you know, that's a big bite we're gonna chew on but i'm ready yeah, go so on, uh, honey, go on that's yeah what this you is know about. i mean first of all you know to talk about like how i think of my character as not a woman it's not that i mm -hmm. think of her as like a man it's that i just think of her as something sort of like larger than life and ethereal and like beyond human you know what i mean so like like cisgendered straight women will come up a lot and be like oh my god mm -hmm. i wish i were as pretty a woman as you it's crazy that you're such a beautiful woman i'm like well well, the fact that if you did this for three hours, you could look exactly <laughs> like me, you know, if you if you cultivated the skill. <laughs> if you beat your face for exactly. that long. Anybody, and the fact yeah. that, like, I identify as a man, but I still look like this, I mean, to me, that is just, all of that should just point to the idea that none of these trappings have anything to do with male or female. Like, if, yeah. if anybody can do it, then the, then the high heels and the lashes and the wigs are not are not inherently female, you know what I mean? Like, nobody's born like that. So they're they're tools that we all get to play with in the same way. They're just crayons in the box that, like, anyone has access to. But I think in the scope of drag, there's, I mean, obviously, as you're saying, we have cisgendered men who are drag queens. Mm -hmm. We have uh, 
trans women who are drag queens. We have cis women who are drag queens. And we have non-binary mm-hmm. people who are drag queens. And I'm sure there's trans men who are drag... Oh, of course there are. There's Gottmik, you know? And there's a, a plenty right, of others. And mm-hmm. so I think... Now that drag has become sort of safer for people to experiment yeah. with, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I was young, I I didn't get to play with it in the same way. And I do think it can sort of be um, a, a door for some people to access more information, to kind of play and be like, oh, this is something that sort of gives me more knowledge about who I am and my own gender. Oftentimes, I've talked to many trans women who sort of like found their identity through drag. And I don't know what to to necessarily make of it other than I think it's just the fact that drag is something that helps us to kind of deconstruct and realize that we can construct whoever we are and whatever we want to be, whether that's just when we're on stage or whether that's, you know, in our larger life. I mean, I identify as male, but I am not a masculine person. I mean, I mm-hmm. swish through the world every day. And mm-hmm. that is, uh, that's a power I found through drag. You know, I was much less comfortable with that. And mm-hmm. then I, drag sort of introduced me to the idea that there is power in that and that I don't have to sort of present myself in a specific guarded way. And I really do feel like as much as drag is my job and it's my art form, I identify with it strongly. I mean, I identify deeply as a drag queen. It feels like something I was really born to do and a big part of Mm -hmm. me, you know? Right. Yes, I do understand. And I and what I like so much about you is that you're so eloquent. You know, you can speak. And I will and I'm not kidding. Let's let's talk about this because I in a minute I want to get into like who you are and your career and your trajectory, but while we're here, you know, and it's sort of organic and we're speaking about this recently, I've been seeing you on like, you know, The Daily Show. I think I saw you on The Daily Show. I saw a few clips of you like in drag, which was such a treat to be seeing this <laughs> kooky puppet, you know, this mad kind of cartoon speaking these incredibly serious words about, you know, how gender, how it all deserves our attention culturally and how drag is not dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about when you were a kid and drag, right? And you're talking about how it wasn't everywhere. It was not yet brought into the light the way it is now. Darling, 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 darling. Okay, when I was a kid, there were literally like five drag queens and you had to go, you had to be frisked before you went into, (laughs) I'm not kidding. I used to, there were most of the clubs that you went to see, for instance, La Escualita, there was a place where you literally got frisked before you go downstairs, went downstairs and it was downstairs and it was all drag and it was something unbelievable, wow. you know? It was a dangerous, dangerous and kind of edgy. Listen, that's how, that's how it was being gay. Forget yeah. about being a drag queen. And you know, now you have all these crazy people in Tennessee oh, and, yep. in, you know, going, right? But I, I, but somewhere the word danger does come into it. You know what I mean? Somewhere the essence of what it is is supposed to be transgressive. It's supposed to be naughty. It's supposed to be vicious a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And though we're not going to make young children into drag queens because we tell them bedtime stories, I'm hoping that we can maintain an element of this, you know? I mean, mean it. I 100% agree with that. As much as my the character that I utilize has this sort mm-hmm. of optimistic <laughs> trilly thing. I mean, I really use her as a way to sort of express more cynical ideas, right? Like that's how I use her as a as a device in my shows, you know, mm-hmm. cuz I 
think very differently from her and that dissonance is part of it, right? So I very much value exactly what you're talking about and I, I do think that drag is inherently transgressive. I do think that it's kind of a fuck you to all of the... Um, the assumptions that people make culturally, right? Like, it, it throws it back at them. Like, well, what you think you know is not necessarily what is true, and we show that. I don't think that danger is is ever going to go away. I think it's great that the ways in which it's broadened and that there are shows that are appropriate for young people, because I know that really would have helped me to know that there were drag queens in the world, other Role models. People. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I love that, but I, I can't fathom why we can't allow for texture within this art form the way we do in others. I mean, we understand that, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy can do raw and then he can do daddy daycare and we aren't afraid mm -hmm. that he's going to like, you know, tell yes. one of those jokes to these children in the audience. Uh -huh. And it just feels like such an obvious comparison that mm -hmm. it is wild to me that all these people assume that because we sometimes have an adult sensibility in front of other adults that we are not capable of adjusting. It's so it's, offensive, right? It's so offensive. It's like... <sighs> and it's not even that... I don't even think they really believe we can't, right? Like, this is just... Groomer is just the new faggot, right? Like, right. it's just... Exactly. It's exactly. just get get away from us. We don't want you. And all of this, you know, we see, you know, those old black and white films about like, be careful of like your friend's uncle or whatever, because he's going to get you after <laughs> exactly. school. Like it's all a feint so that we're not thinking about the bigger issues like gun control or something. Yes. You know, they're coming for us. So they're not good, right? They're throwing us off the scent. But, I mean, I think yeah. it's all true. Like they are absolutely trying to distract from gun control. And I think that they absolutely want laws to go pre-Stonewall again, right? We just mm -hmm. over Turned Roe versus Wade. No, like people were very surprised when that happened, but it worked its way through the court system for a decade, you know? And it's unbelievable. Like, yeah. And this is the same thing, right? I mean, yes, they're chipping away at it bit by bit. It's, you know, it's reproductive rights, it's LGBTQIA yep. plus rights, it's and who knows who's next. I mean, and obviously people of color are under attack, but it's mm -hmm. all it's all happening. And it's a distraction, and they're I mean, it's terrifying how this it's is so terrifying. snowballing. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm going to kind of change this this topic a little bit and make it more about you, okay? About, like, personally about you, okay? Like, we started by talking about who... And by the way, I don't know if you can take this as a compliment or not. What I love about Benda LaCreme is it's almost this... Ethel Mermany kind of thing. It's not exactly so like, it's not exactly that she's so optimistic. It's that she's so like fucking in it. You know what I mean? That she's not going to allow any bad thing to come in. And also, by the way, you don't not look like Ethel Merman a little bit. It's not the furthest <laughs> thing from like a pretty young Ethel Merman. Like, I'm not kidding. All right. But anyway, oh, well, so take like, that. I would like to know what is vulnerable about one, a drag queen, but more importantly, Ben de la Creme. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I very much, again, use her as like kind of a device to get more vulnerable because she's so big and cartoony and sparkly. It's really easy for people to be like, oh, this is accessible. This is fun. I'm going to come to it. But Mm -hmm. all of my shows, especially my solo shows, are really about like darker topics. Like literally my last show, it's it's called Ready to Be Committed and it's Bendel Krem is looking for a a husband, (laughs) right? And it's uh, it's all, you know, campy and a lot of like – ridiculous like dick jokes and like characters and colors and songs Thank but God. at its heart and people don't know this because I didn't put this actual text in there it's about you know it's about Dela looking for partnership and then within that has to face the idea that is something I struggle with which is that uh commitment inherently ends in tragedy because either your relationship ends or the person's gone. And when I, my my mother died when I was 12 and I watched my mm. dad's mourning process and he really mm. lost mm. himself for many years. And that is, and that has stuck with me. 
seeing this really loving relationship end and this person's life derailed. And that is what brought that show about. So within the show, I do go, you know, I mean, I sort of have a, you know, 90% comedy, 10% tragedy ratio that I like to do in my shows. And Mm -hmm. so the culmination of it really is her kind of struggling with the realities. and, And I do allow myself to go really vulnerable. And there's a safety to the character that allows me to do that and have it still be a little bit mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I always do that. I think, you know, the holiday show I do with Jinx. Which I've seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm grateful you saw that. I love um, it and adore it. It's, oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's that one is, uh, is less kind of intense than a lot of my solo shows in terms of how far it goes in that regard. But... That show is about, I mean, I started doing Christmas content in like 2008 as a way Mm -hmm. to process the fact that I did not feel close to my family. I felt very alienated during a time of year that was about family and was about homecoming. And uh, and at the time, I was still going home for Christmas. And I was like, I'm going to make a Christmas show so that I don't have to go home. And so other people who don't want to be there can come be here on Christmas Eve. And... Uh, And so it did, you know, and that show is still, again, can't be goofy, but at its heart about, hey, you don't have to do any of this stuff that doesn't feel good. You can choose the people you want to be around and you can choose the stuff you want to do. Oh, my God. You know, that's what that's the big lesson that I think needs to I mean, darling, don't we have to go out there and just completely because I also was an alien. I feel like I was born from another planet into my family. And, you know, I did my best to get along and it was okay. And I read a lot of stuff about you and how you were bullied and all that. And, you know, and me too. I was fat and I was effeminate and I wasn't, and I was in this crazy religious Jewish school and I didn't like it. And I wasn't bullied just by my peers. I was bullied by rabbis, by adults. Adults, you know, sort of abused me a little bit. Um, And so I, I completely understand when you talk about uh, what going back to that idea about like um, your mom and losing your mom. Mm-hmm. I never lost a relative like that, but I have very, very close people in my, one of my best friends, mom, moms committed suicide when we were like, you know, roughly around the age that you lost your mother. And I yeah. like the echoes of it, the reverberations of it, like affected my life so, to such an extent. And honestly, I don't really think my friend ever recovered from that, you know? And possibly that's because it was a suicide, but that's a whole other subject. And then, of course, darling, like, I mean, this is going to sound so whatever, uh, pluck, but, but, when you get a dog, like, I don't know about you, do you have dogs? <laughs> yes, we have a dog and two cats, yes. Well, the minute I get a puppy dog, I go, darling, you're going to die before me, and how am I going to deal with it? You know, it's like, yeah. so you're always coming to terms with that idea of death, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's, and no, I, I think mean that it. people don't know. I mean, I, I agree. And I, I think it's a thing that we all kind of know, but don't just actively talk about that thing of connecting to anyone is mm-hmm. scary. It's it, you are risking, you are risking feeling bad later, yes. right? And that can hold us back. And we don't, and it's a very simple kind of guttural kind of, uh, I think, primal thing that we, right. uh, that we just sort of gloss over. And it and it's, you know, we're gonna like we're gonna make that decision anyway, but why aren't we just talking about that? Like it's hard to be vulnerable, you know? Yes. Um, so I don't want you to take it wrong, but you know, like I have a history with drag too, not in it, but watching it, right? 
Yep. And I, I often say that I don't know if I were living, to, if I were younger today, if I were like a teenager today, I don't know if I would be trans or if I would be something else. I swear, I think I am a product of my time, you know? But I, I like, absolutely I remember, that, yeah. I remember like, you know, for instance, I've known RuPaul for a thousand years. RuPaul and yeah. I, literally a thousand years, darling. <laughs> I mean, there was a dinner that Vogue gave for uh, this fabulous person called Leo Lerman. And I hired RuPaul to stand in front and do talking heads, right? And then actually once I, listen to this story, I hired RuPaul to go to Paris with me because I was commissioned by Louis Vuitton to design a bag for their hundredth, whatever it was. And this Whoa. is literally in 1996. Wait, no, the story gets better. So she comes, she did, we, Santa, I think forgot what the thing, she was lip syncing inside, the, they made a giant purse. It was this whole thing at some <laughs> palace in, 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 in Paris. And at the dress rehearsal, a light fell on her head. RuPaul's oh my God. Head. I promise you this happened. And she was rushed to the hospital, right? And I thought, oh, now what? Right? Was she at least in a wig? She was, no, no, because oh. it was just the rehearsal. <laughs> anyway, and of course, all I thought was, oh, shit, now who's going to do this? <laughs> who's sure. going to do this lipstick? Oh, poor Rue, you know? <laughs> but anyway, she made it back. She, like, did it. She came back. She did the lipstick. It was unbelievable. Um, but I, I want to talk for a minute bit of, uh, for a minute about what you're talking. You're, you're talking about something that's so kind of, like, almost inherently political. But, you know, like... Drag, though it was transgressive and it was sometimes very political, like you're saying, the punkier side of it, or some drag queens were in your face like Bunny, darling. Bunny will just... Oh, yeah. Right. But RuPaul, for instance, is not the most political person we know. You know, she's very elegant about that. She wants people to, like, live and let live. And, and, and what she will say is, hey, everybody, vote. You know, I mean, yeah. that is about as political as she gets usually, you know? Yeah. And of course, I admire that because I I am not the most political artist. Do you know what I mean? But it seems like you are. You know, it seems like you are motivated very much by politics. Yeah, I, I am. And I don't, you know, that didn't necessarily... That feels like it just sort of like was a natural progression out of necessity and feeling oppressed, right? Like it's mm -hmm. and and I, I mean, the reality is I have less to lose than Rue, so like I can totally appreciate her stance and why she needs to come from where. Except, she darling, comes from. if there was, if anyone was repressed in this world, you know, it was Madame RuPaul. Oh, or, absolutely! Oh my God, and she had every reason in the world. But I don't. I think it was like her way. I mean, this is of course me speaking for RuPaul, but it was her way of ascending into a whole other like that is who that is who that person is it's a diva who looks down and goes you are my subjects i am queen you know what <laughs> yes, i mean very and much I, so. I, that's that's kind of what that's what i remember about even like even Lipsinka or something you know Lipsinka yeah. was a good friend of mine too it's a funny thing yeah. um and so talk to me about like this generation of of, of drag and queer and how mobilized and political it is. And by the way, I don't think it's better or worse. I just think it's something I am acknowledging and I, and, and, and absolutely it's better. You know what I mean? Well, and absolutely it's worse, you know? So go on. I just, okay. I would just, I would say that 
whether or not you're like speaking specifically on these topics, drag is super political and everyone who's doing it is doing something super political. I mean, like Rue might not be talking about these specific things, but Rue is a black queer man from the South exactly, who grew honey. up Isn't poor. That enough? And right, like, right, and right, that, right. that is political. Her existence mm-hmm. is political and yes. aggressively so. And, you know, and I, I've been talking about this a lot because I really think that drag is something super kind of sacred in the queer community. And I think it has mm-hmm. been, and I think it is our art form. It's our communication style. Every culture has their own kind of styles of music and performance that they pass along the information and the spirit of their community down. And that's the one that we use. And that in itself is hugely political because we have passed down through the generations for centuries and decades. Uh, We have passed down the spirit of our community that was hidden, that people didn't want anybody to know about. And that might not be as literal as let me tell you about Stonewall, but Every piece of it, I think, is valid. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot with the kind of attacks on drag right now and how people are talking about how it's sort of inherently adult and it's prurient and all these things, um, you know, one thing I think about, I was actually at Sherry Vine's show like a couple weeks ago, and she's just filthy. And she's just telling these, you know, I mean, she's telling jokes about how uh, she was singing a song about, like, getting poop on your dick, right? Like, it was right. like that. That is that is Sherry Vines. But I'm watching Nothing this. new, darling. Nothing new. Right. If you've been watching Bunny for all these years, yes. this is nothing new. But, go but I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, this is political. And the reason is, and this is beautiful, and it's a part of our history, because at one point, men, gay men were not getting to talk to anyone about what anal sex is like. They weren't allowed to speak of it. They... If they had something like that happen and it felt shameful, who were they going to share it with? Who were they going to ask if this is normal, if it's happened to anyone else? Am I a freak? Is this, you know? And they would go to a drag club... A queen would sing about something filthy, everybody would laugh, and in everyone laughing, you get to go, I'm not alone. This is a common enough experience that people are laughing at it. And it sounds silly, and to people right now, they're like, oh, drag queens are just filthy, and that's who they are, and how either like, oh, how fun and wacky, or how disgusting. But that is, it's, there's a historical context for why that is, and that is political. So a poop on the dick joke is politics, you know? Yes. I, I feel really blessed to be sort of like that millennial zone of drag where I get to like, I got to be a part of the drag world for many years before drag race existed. And then I mm-hmm. also get to sort of benefit from the drag race situation. But I feel a great deal of mourning for the pre-drag race wor- days of drag. Right. You know, right. like I, yes. there was something so special. And I think a big part of it to me was that you had to... If you were going to be a drag queen, you were never going to be rich, you were never going to be famous, Mm -hmm. and no one would ever want to sleep with you. And so you had to do it in spite of that. You had to want it so badly that you did it even though those things were true. And that meant that those drag queens were passionate as hell. And now it's a thing where drag can be seen as a a path to fame, fortune, and people wanting to sleep with you. So <laughs> it's, you know, exactly. it really, it's, totally. it, it's changed who's doing drag. And I do think that there's value in that. And I, I see the benefits of that. But, you know, at, when 
drag has its inevitable dip in whatever form it takes from popular mm-hmm. culture, there will be queens like me and many others who are like, I am going to perform in a dumpster until the day I die for nickels. And there will be queens who are like, okay, this is no longer my career path. I'm moving on to something else. And right, And that is something that I think is both a gain and a loss. I do think this is sort of fascinating. Um, this idea that, you know, there, there is this subculture that is coming into the light right now. And one thing I have to tell you, like, I remember in New York in the 1980s when I was coming about and coming out, I'm from New York, so I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I came to New York and discovered the big city. I was from here, so it was both, like, easier in some ways and rougher because, you know, I had my family right in Brooklyn. So, like, ugh, this, I'm under the scrutiny, I'm under the gun a little bit. But I remember going to to gay bars, right? That would be a specifically gay bar, right? Yeah. To meet other men to like fucking sleep with, okay? Like, I'm sorry, but that's what you did. Or to meet and to be romantically involved with other gentlemen, right? And um, it was this incredible, incredible bonding thing, you know? Like, you just bond with these people to such an extent and you walk in that room and you just feel so incredibly wonderful and so incredibly safe and by the way, that's another whole thing. Like right now, we're not that safe in those clubs, yeah. which is really like something that is also extremely terrifying. But now I feel like, you know, um, first of all, are the clubs more mixed now? Are they gay? And are they queer? And are they, you know, right? And like, I'm not kidding. I'm asking this because I want to know. What I wish you could talk about is the trade off like what are we trading off here you know as we enter into the light you know we're giving away a kind of a mystique a kind of a, a you know a, a solidarity that we had in these clubs all those yeah. years you know <laughs> for you know you talking about like going out to the bars to meet people yes. to get laid to whatever yes. i mean like that yes. was my experience too and that was great because you bond with people that's how you made friends you know so many of my friends were people who i tried to sleep with at one point and right and that um and that was great and then i do remember that shift sort of i think uh early 2000s where at the clubs I worked at, you would see more and more kind of people looking at their phone. And whenever those apps started to be more popular, whenever Grindr kind of exploded, it did, you know, I know just from knowing a lot of people who work in and own and manage clubs that it super shifted. I mean, people were not, had no reason to go out to clubs to meet people. They could order them like a pizza from their couch. Crazy thing. I was talking to a, yeah, I was talking to a young assistant of mine and she was, I was saying, oh, do you go out to clubs? And she was saying, mm, not really. There's no really, there's no real clubs anymore. You know, darling, yeah. it was amazing. This was an amazing world when clubs kind of ran the world. You know, that oh, was yeah. amazing. And I was saying to her, like, before the internet, my dears, like, if Suzanne Barsh decided to have a party on the Brooklyn Bridge, which she did, okay? Yes. Only, that's only one of the locations that I remember. Somehow I heard about, I don't know who the hell came over and told me about this party, but you can believe that I was at that party that yeah. night, you know, yeah. and I knew about it. And what about Gus? Is that working? Is that, are you happy about that? Is that something wonderful? Your husband, yeah. is he your husband? Are you guys married? We're not married. We not are- married. No. Living we, uh, in sin. Live, we're living in sin. Um, but yeah, no, we've been together eight years. Uh, he and I uh, met on Scruff app uh, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was 
touring so much that I was like, I don't know how to date. Like I can't meet anyone, you know? So, uh, so it, it turned out he only lived like two blocks from me in Seattle and he had <gasps> for years and we had all the same friends. We were at all the same parties for many years, but just never met. And, um, but yeah, no, I mean, he and I have been together for a long time and for at first I really was cautious. I was like, you know, we shouldn't work together. A lot of queens jump straight mm -hmm. into working with their partners because yes. then you can tour together. But I was like, you know, we're just not going to see each other for months on end. And that's how we're going to do this because right. I don't want to mix these two things. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. 
I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's my final question to you, darling. Is drag forever? You think drag is going to be forever in your life? Ever and ever and ever? Oh, in my life? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you drag think will be forever 80, everywhere. Like Jane Fonda, you know, she gets up, she goes to the set, they do her hair, she does speaks her line, she does it. She's been doing that for a few years now, Jane yes. Fonda, you know? Yes. And so you think, Ben de la Creme, at 80... You're going to be doing this? Yes. I want to be, I want my skin falling off my bones on stage. (laughs) I, you know, and the, but the other thing is that I, at this point, I'm getting, doing like a lot more writing, directing, production stuff. Right. And even if, so I haven't done a lot where I'm not on stage for it, but we're on camera for it, but I am, as I get more excited about these behind the scenes things, it is something that I, that is a path that I'm actively pursuing as well as my life performance Mm -hmm. career but it's a thing where at some point you know i mean my hips are already bad like i you know (laughs) at some point i may have to transition more into being the person behind the the show the wig behind the wig behind the wig but to me it will the product will always be drag and therefore i will always be doing drag you know that is a great, great answer. I love that answer. <laughs> is there something you'd like to promote on our show? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, yeah. Well, uh, you know, last year, one of the things that I got to do, uh, sort of speaking of production, was I got to work as a producer on my first TV show. It's called Drag Me to Dinner. Uh, it's Neil Patrick Harris's uh, drag sort of, uh, it's like a surrealist drag competition game show. It's hosted I by Murray Hill. I this tonight. My favorite people in the world. My (laughs) favorite people in the world. All right. Well, darling, I mean, you know, one thing we learned from what was it? The last season of Drag Race was it 15, season 15, right? When they added the half hour back, they added a half hour back, remember? And the show got better. Okay. And I said to myself, what show in the world benefits by adding (laughs) half an hour? You know, I would add two hours to this interview, but Unfortunately, we are out of time. And so, thank you so much to you, darling, Ben de la Creme. Thank you so much for having me. This was truly a pleasure. And uh, and listen, when we're, I know that we both have Christmas shows, but I hope that we can cross paths during that time. Maybe we'll be in the same Absolutely. place at the same time. Yes, we will. <laughs> I'll look into it. Excellent. Into it. All right, Mwah. bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. you. I have to say I was a little scared approaching this interview with Ben de la Creme because there were a lot of things I don't know about her and a lot of things that I don't really know about the etiquette or the protocol of drag. And boy, I think I learned a lot. And also, I just love her even more than I did before I did this interview. I didn't think I could love Ben de la Creme more, but guess what? I do. And I hope you do. And I hope you go see her if she's in your town. This is Isaac Mizrahi saying thank you. And I love you. I never thought I'd say this, darlings, but goodbye, Isaac. 
Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Kara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Walzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katamak at IM Entertainment. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.